Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Willowburn. Welcome to the first Sunday for 2018. I was thinking about this morning when I was on my rowing machine. This is actually the sixth New Year's message I've given in this church. So hopefully it'll, it'll be a good one. Hopefully. Anyway, but it just goes to show that we've been together for a fair while now. And yeah, we sort of had our ups and downs, but who knows what 2018 is going to bring. So I entitled today uh, more and more. And I wanted to start off with this little picture here. Uh, I'll just describe it to you. You, sh- you should actually know it. It's a well-known logo. Actually, I'm not quite sure what it is when I look at it. It's sort of a little bit triangular. Have you got it up there? A little bit of a semicircle happening on top, a bit of blue, a bit of red. Believe it or not, you actually know this very well. Does anyone want to take a guess at what it might be? Maybe look at it sideways. Uh, I'm just joking. It won't make any difference. <laughs> you can look at it upside down if you want. I don't care. What? Taylor? A bird? It does too. You're right. It actually looks like an old spaceship off an old Atari game I used to have. But anyway, I'll give you another logo here. Maybe it's getting a bit closer now. It looks like a domino, doesn't it? Yeah, so... Those logos, believe it or not, belong to Domino's, which you all know, and now I'm giving them some free advertising. I hope you like Domino's Pizza. We're more Pizza Hut. But so that, that up there is a little picture of a bunch of people, 150 people, all adults, were asked, they're all adults, they're not kids drawing, all asked to draw well-known logos from memory. And so when they drew the logo of Domino's, only 16% actually got it right. So you see all sorts up there. There's one, some guys just drawing a pizza, some guy's just drawn a circle. Some guy's just drawn a little rectangle-looking thing. Well, I'll give you another one while we're here. This is a different logo, very well known. Anyone know what that might be? <laughs> Apple pride themselves on their aesthetic, and I don't think they would like that logo previously. It looked like a weird kind of alien head, but believe it or not, that was the Apple logo. And again, here's a, lo- a little picture or a summary of all the diagrams and you've got some weird UFO things going on there and half chomped on apples and weird, weird kind of colours. A few more got this one right, 20% got it right when they drew the logo from memory. So there you go, Apple's doing a little bit better than Domino's. But why, did, why didn't you pick it? <laughs> it wasn't close enough, exactly. It wasn't legible. The thing that we had in our mind as to what Domino's was or Apple was, their reputation, what we were recalling, didn't match up with the reality of what was actually drawn in front of us. It looked completely different. The image, the imprint, the picture, the drawn reality just didn't match the reputation. Didn't match reputationally in your mind and in your memory. So in 2018, this actually ties into what I think are two prophetic statements and If after this sermon you don't think they're prophetic, you don't think they have something contemporaneous to say to us right now, then come and talk to me and give me something that does. I really, uh, where this came about was I was a bit sick last year, as you know, and just thinking through the motions of Willowburn and exactly wondering whether we are just going through the motions. And so where this sermon comes from was I sort of felt prompted to listen to 1 Thessalonians as I was walking. So I started listening to 1 Thessalonians. And I really believe there are two key prophetic messages for us this year to really think about. And uh, I'll give you the first one now. And then I'll give you the second one at the end. Okay. So the first one is simply this. Our life must be sincere. Our life must be sincere. I hope you like the little picture there I dragged off the net. So, you know, the top and the bottom match perfectly in the nice little picture there. And if our life must be sincere, then our love must be sincere. That's some sandcastle there, by the way, that someone drew, uh, someone made. Our love must be sincere. So where do I get that from? Well, it's a very long, 
very complicated, very dense passage in the scripture. I'll just give it to you. Love must be sincere. <laughs> now, I have taken it out of context, but actually it's the end of Romans. It's the end of Paul's letter to Rome. Uh, he wrote it about 58 AD. He was probably in prison and he summarizes the gospel in the first few chapters and he gets all the way to the end in Romans 12, Romans 13, and he has all these sort of little sayings or little almost proverbial things that he wants us to remember. And one of them is love must be sincere or in some other versions that you might have there, love must be genuine. Let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. I, I like what the King James Version says. Uh, it appeals to the pilot in me. Love must be dissimulated. Now, it appealed to me. It may not appeal to you. But simply to say that, you know, I've been around simulations all my life, but they are not like the thrill of real flight, of being up above the clouds or in the clouds or under the clouds and seeing this beautiful planet spread out beneath us, feeling the motions as we turn, smelling the smells of the aircraft and the air outside. It's not the same as a simulator. Um, Now, what does sincere mean? Well, if you look at a Greek lexicon, it'll just simply say something like this. It meant inexperienced in the art of acting. It just literally means I don't know how to act. I don't know how to put on a show. I don't know how to put on a facade. It means that love is unfeigned, genuine, real, true, and sincere. So I think this prophetic message for us, I'm saying it to highlight it for 2018, it's probably for all of our lives, that in 2018, Willow Burn, let there be no acting, no simulation of love, no hypocrisy, no pretense. Let love be unfeigned, genuine, authentic, true, real, sincere. How does that sound to you? Sound real? Sound true? Sound prophetic? So does anyone remember our call? Funnily enough, it ties into our call. It's on our website. We are here to love. We are here to, we are here to grow. Very good. So there it is there on the website. The website's been updated a little bit here and there. Um, but there it is. I don't know if you can see it. How well on the big screen? Oh, it's not too bad. We are here to love. We are here to serve. We are here to grow. So we are here to love. But what does it matter if, if it isn't sincere? Um, so, you know, we can talk about love. We can sing about love. We can write about love. We can do a PhD thesis in love. We can get consultancy groups together to talk about love. We can have love posters all up through the church in our houses. We can listen to love songs. We can live in a, listen to sermons on love. But what does that matter a jot if the love in our own lives is not sincere? We are here to serve. We've said that um, service is love with arms and legs on, right? It's expressed, incarnational, manifesting, physical love, right? But what does it matter if that, if that isn't sincere? If we're doing it for ulterior motives or we're just doing it so people will notice, so we'll just fit in. We are here to grow. But what if we kind of can fake growth? Looks like we're growing on the outside. We know what kind of face to put on amongst our Christian brothers and sisters. We even know what face to put on at work. But deep down, there is no growth. Our love, our service in 2018, our our growth must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Love must be authentic. Love must be genuine. Now, we often and have done in the past focused in on those first two, love and serve. And we're actually doing 
every season, so summer, spring, etc., uh, or autumn, not in that order, obviously, every season we're doing a call sermon again, just to remind us of what we're all about. So this is our summer, New Year's call sermon. And I wanted to focus in on growth. We often focus in on love and service, and there are plenty of uh, sermons online that you could have a look at from the past that we've done. But this time I wanted to focus on growth. And the reason I wanted to do that was because, again, I sort of wanted to flip this around a bit and go, if you aren't growing, then by definition, what are you doing? Think organically. Think of nature. Have you ever seen something that doesn't grow in nature? What do we call that? Dying. If something isn't growing, it's dying. There's no sitting on the fence. Or if there is, it's a sharp pointy fence. It's impossible. I'm mixing metaphors now. You can't grow if you're alive. If you're alive in Christ, sorry, I'll say that again. You can't grow if you're alive. Sorry, if you're dead, you can't grow. I'm all mixed up, don't worry. <laughs> I, should have, I should have had my coffee. I didn't get to have my coffee. My point is, if you're not growing, you're probably dying. There's no neutrality there, okay? So that's why I wanted to focus in on growth because true growth, I think, is symptomatic of love and service and a few other things. So here's a picture of what I think happens when we're not growing. In nature, we see that there's the stump, the dead stump up there. It's not growing. There's no fruit. There's no greenery. There's no life in it. The life cycle has stopped. It's now dying, degrading, decaying. Now we look at that and it kind of looks ugly compared to the um, one before. You know, the little picture I put up before there of the bright green leaves. Look at that. And it's just something kind of warm about that in your heart. You go, oh, that looks nice. But then when you get to this one, you go, oh. Oh, so how much more so our spiritual lives? How much more so our spiritual lives? And I really want us to just, not in a harsh way, not in a judgmental way, but just to hold up the mirror here at the start of 2018, the mirror of God's word and go, is my love sincere? Is it serving? Is it growing? Because if it isn't, then what is happening? So what I thought I would do, I was going to do something different, but then I came to this uh, kind of key word or key phrase, and it was simply more and more. So in this uh, verse here from Philippians, Paul, again, probably in jail, one of the last letters he wrote, he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. More and more. When I saw that more and more, I was like, oh, I wonder how many times more and more appears in the, appears in the Bible. I had a look, and in the New Testament, it appears six times. So I'm just going to run us through those really quickly this morning. More and more. More and more. So what does that mean, more and more? It means that something in one moment is bettered in the next. It's increased in the next. More and more of something means that something is growing. So whenever we see Paul talk about more and more, he expects to see growth. And there he talks about growth of our love in knowledge and depth of insight. Some people think love is just kind of hairy, fairy, fairy floss, kind of home and away, warm feelings, without true, gritty knowledge and depth of insight. But look, look at the Christian perspective. Look what Paul says. No, no, no. He wants our love to grow in knowledge and depth of insight. Some people think that knowledge is everything. Insight is everything. Get the latest theology right. Get it exactly precise and forget the love part. No, no, no. Christianity, if we're going to grow, is about our love growing. So you can do a quick test. If you more veer towards, I've got to get all my theology exactly, precisely right and argue about it till the cows come home, you can apply this test. Is my love increasing? If you think you're that kind of loving person and you don't worry too much about the theology, it's not that important, you can apply this test, which is, 
is my knowledge of God and who he is and who he says he is and his character and what he's done for me. Is that growing? And we want to be people that are loving, but we're not ignorant. We want to be people that are loving, that are wise and growing, 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 growing in that. This is my prayer. This is Paul praying, praying for the church. He's from jail, praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. If he was writing the letter to Willowburn, he would say exactly the same thing today, 2,000 years later, as he did back then in that cold dungeon, probably uh, in AD 62. More and more knowledge, more and more depth of insight in love. And that's why we're hooking into the mega series this year the Meet God Almighty series. We want to meet him, get to know him. In our heads, we've probably got a logo or a brand of who God is. You know, there's probably little blemishes and distortions, little obstacles that have built up in our heads. We want to kind of sweep them away, reintroduce ourselves to God, reintroduce ourselves to his ways. We want to meet God Almighty. We're starting from Genesis going all the way through to Revelation. How amazing is that? Barb's helped us out with an awesome outline. I'm going to give that out to you. You can read around it. Some of you are already committed to reading through the Bible with us in two years. That's awesome. Let that knowledge grow. Let that depth of insight grow so that your love will grow. Here's the next more and more. And this more comes back to what I said, what I said before about listening to First Thessalonians. And can I ask you that maybe this week and in, in the next couple of weeks, it only takes literally 10 minutes to read First Thessalonians, that you would read First Thessalonians uh, and just or listen to it on an audio Bible. It's a really powerful letter. As you know, that Thessalonican church was planted in three Sabbath days. It was a baby church. Paul got kicked out of there by the Jewish people. They were angry at him. They were jealous. They wanted to kill him. Off he went. And so Paul wrote this letter exceedingly concerned about that little baby church because in those days, little baby churches with this baby belief system, they shouldn't have survived. And yet he finds out that not only have they survived, they've thrived. Their message has rung out into all of Asia you know, I've said this before because I love the church at Thessalonica. It just blows my mind. I bring it up all the time. Um, but notice what he says here now. He says, we, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in, in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So we could have just gone full stop. Well done. Clap, clap. No. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. There's that term again. So what's he asking them to do more and more? Live in order to please God. Now, there's a whole bunch of things in First Thessalonians that you'll see are practical, really very practical. I'll get you to have a look at those sometime. I might just um, summarize them very quickly. But living godly, one was to be sanctified and holy. That, that the city that they lived in was all sorts of um, God worship, which involved husband of a wife going down to the temple, leaving his family, perhaps uh, engaging with a prostitute or wild orgy, things like that. Um, Paul's saying, don't do that. If you want to, um, if you want true intimacy with your wife, true love, then let me show you a better way. And he does. Another thing that he said to grow more and more in is brotherly love or sisterly love. To, and this is so interesting, lead a quiet life, mind your own business and work with your hands. <laughs> what he's saying there is work hard in the society that you're in. Don't come out of the society. Work hard that you're in, in there, but just remember who you are. And then he says, so that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders. Now, I wanted to bring out at this point a book I'm reading at the moment. I commend it to you. You can get it on Kindle. It's called Destroyer of the Gods. It's actually a history book. It's not one of those boring history books. So it's written by a guy. I'm not sure whether he's a, a Christian or not or 
I don't know. I don't know his heart, but he set out to write a book about Christianity uh, and he just sort of saw it as one of many other religions. And he just thought, I'd be the same as all the other religions. And yet, as he started to study it, particularly in the first 300 years of the church, so, you know, time of Jesus through to AD 300, he found these amazing distinctives and he wrote a whole book about it. He found out that Christianity is not the same as other religions. It's not even close. And he called it the destroyer of the gods. Do you know why he called it the destroyer of the gods? Christianity. Because how many of you today know of or are a Zeus worshipper? How many of you today know of or are an Artemis worshipper? Now, there might be a few little ones here and there scattered around the world that we don't know about, but they're, they're gone. But if you were back 2,000 years ago, in that there was, worship, there was worship of that that was widespread and profuse. There was idols, temples everywhere, and Christians constantly were called to be a part of that. The whole thing was that you could worship Artemis, but when you went to the city of, of um, Zeus, then you would worship Zeus just to sort of pay some homage. When Christians came along, like Paul, he was saying, no, 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 do not worship idols. You are to worship and acclaim Jesus as God and Jesus as God alone, nobody else. That was revolutionary. And it cost the Christians. But you know what happened? In AD 40, there was estimated to be 1,000 Christians by, by various scholars. This is in his book. Do you know how many there were by AD 300? Five to six million. In AD 100, there were seven to 10,000. In AD 200, about 200,000. In AD 300, five to six million. Many of these comprised several house-based groups uh, in the early days. And then by 100 AD, 200 to 400 house-based groups in um, and then it just kept going on until in about AD 300, a, a historian said that Christians were everywhere. That is why Larry Hurtado, the author of this, called Christianity the destroyer of the gods. This is what he says. From its earliest moments, Islam's success were often at the point of the sword. By contrast, the growth of Christianity in its first three centuries, the most crucial period, one of those little churches like the church at Thessalonica, who would have thought that would grow? The most crucial period was largely, the growth was largely by a combination of the power of persuasion, whether in preaching, intellectual argument, miracles, exhibiting the power of Jesus' name, or simply the moral um, example of Christian behaviour, including martyrdom. And then he talks about how Christianity engaged with society. It was a part of society, but it managed to be distinct as well. So whenever today you hear of a church or a church movement that says, hey, we can just accept this, that and the other thing, be very careful because the very thing that made Christianity grow in the early uh, first 300 years of the church was the fact that they were called to radical obedience and radical difference whilst at the same time engaging with society. If they'd completely disengaged, they would have fizzled out like so many other religions as well. The destroyer of the gods. And what I saw here as I prepped up for this sermon uh, which I'm kind of a bit excited about, was the thing that destroyed the gods was not the sword like we see in Islam. It was actually more and more. It was more and more love. It was more and more service. It was more and more growth. It was more and more leading a quiet life, minding their own business, working hard, winning the respect of outsiders, holy living to the point of death, naming Jesus, 
as the God of the universe, the living God. Sincere growth of their sincere love and their sincere service in and through and for Jesus destroyed the Roman gods once and for all. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You understand, these Roman gods were not nice gods to serve most of the time. Just look up and see some of the things that they required of you. None of them died for their people, not like Jesus did. And that, that, that message of Jesus dying and Jesus rising again just gripped the Christians. Here's the next more and more, which is also part of uh, the church at Thessalonica and the message to Thessalonians. He says this twice, actually. Uh, and in fact, you do love all the brothers through Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. And then in 2 Thessalonians, again, this more and more phrase, we ought always to thank God for you, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Here's the thing, you don't trust God, you're not going to love more. If you want to love God more, then you need to trust God more. I don't know of anyone who loves God who doesn't trust him. That's a challenge for us in 2018. If love is going to be genuine, if love is going to be genuine, then we've got to trust God more. We've got to depend on him more. We've got to pledge our allegiance to him more and more and more. Your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Here's a negative more and more that I found in Paul's letter to Timothy. He said, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. If you've got a pattern of behavior in this particular instance of godless chatter, but it could be many other things, negative things, unchristian things, un-Jesus-like things, non-Holy Spirit-led things. Notice there the degradation more and more ungodly. You don't stay in a constant state. You're actually changing. You're either becoming more like that dead stump or more like what we saw before, the beautiful bright green leaves. And what I wanted to point out here, this is the last more and more as we get to the end of the sermon. We worship a God of more and more. He is the more and more God. This is actually in Corinthians and it says Paul's writing and it's at the end of 2 Corinthians 4 and I commend that to, to read. You know, the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. That's in 2 Corinthians 4. Awesome passage. And at the end, he says, all this is for your benefit, the gospel flowing out, what Jesus has done on the cross, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God intends that more and more grace will be given to the world. You know, the world's in such a dysfunctional state. It's in such a God-disregarding state, doing its own kind of thing in general. And God says, more and more grace, more and more grace. It's almost like I have this picture of the cross. Jesus goes into the tomb like just a dead seed, really. The tomb's closed up. Three days later, he makes it a high traffic area. There's all these people coming and going because he's actually risen. And it's almost like spiritually you can just see, you know, like growth, like greenery going out from his tomb into the desert out here everywhere, everywhere and then you know the rain's coming and there's pools and there's springs and it's just terraforming you know spiritually the whole the whole world and it's still happening today it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years and i love this brandon heath song it's called um, i only just met you and sometimes when you're listening to a song these little words they catch in your heart and they just stay there and he talks about how god's the god of the galaxies and how he's 
washed him in, in kind of salty seas and it's almost more than I can bear. There's not a single fear, uh, etc. And then he says, and I only just met you. <laughs> well, he's been a Christian for a long time. But that's how I feel. I've been a Christian my whole life since age seven. And yet, as you read the scriptures, as you interact with fellow brothers and sisters and hear their stories and hear them speak, and as you live life and see all the things that happen, it's like, I'm getting to know you better. And I know you better than I ever did before, but I only just met you. That's how it feels. There's more love to discover in him, more grace. And so as we look into 2018, If people at the end of 2018 draw us from memory, they just draw the picture. Now, understand this. The psychology of what you saw with those logos is actually well studied. It's it's very comprehensive and sophisticated. If you want the best psychologists, go to advertising firms. They're the most well-paid. They're also the uh, the ones that are um, the most insightful about engaging people and about what will engage people. Here's the interesting thing. Um, So Karen Heller, she's a leading authority on colour psychology to do with the logos. This is what she says. People have an emotional connection with colour first. Then we take in the shapes and the logo, and then we read the words. If we sense a mismatch, it's the colour we don't believe, despite the beautifully crafted words. So what what they see first in terms of the colour before they see the words, that is what dominates their perception. That's why you saw all those weird logos, but a lot of them had the right colour. Even the weird pizza one that I showed you right at the start. And so when people look at us as Christians, where am I going? It's, It's what they will see in us first. It's what they will see in us that they will recall. They won't recall all your words. They'll just recall who you were in terms of your attitude, the emotions that you conjured up in those relationships with them. That's what they'll remember. And you go to Google and you know it's got an autofill and I'm sure you've seen this before, but you know how you start a question and it'll fill it out for you? It's based on the amount of hits and the amount of searches that have been done. So generally the first one that comes up in the autofill is the one that most people have associated and have searched for. So when you say, why are Christians so... Can you see the first one? Judgmental. Now, that might be fair sometimes, that might be unfair, but the fact is, most times when people Google why are Christians, they're searching why are Christians so judgmental. And you can see things up there in terms of why they persecute. That's the only probably positive one. Then there's why are Christians called Christians, that's neutral. Then the other ones are about what they're against. Now, if that was a snapshot of the Christian logo, that is not a very good snapshot to have. Now, I know there are all sorts of nuances with Google and all sorts of nuance with statistics and little pictures like that. But just consider for a moment, if you get to the end of 2018 and someone wants to draw you, draw your logo, what will the logo be? Will it be the self logo or will it be the Christ logo? Will it be the logo of Jesus? And just remember us. They will remember us from what they see. You know, when Larry Hurtado wrote his book, and again, I don't know if he's a full-on believer or not, I just don't know. Um, But when he read... So when he read into history and looked at the source documents and so forth, the primary documents, what he remembered was what they did, not what they even said so much. Some of it's there. Now, I'm not saying you know me well enough. I'm not saying get rid of the words. Actually, what I'm saying is speak the words, but let the words be symptoms of your life, of your action. That's what we just saw with First Thessalonians, you know. Win the respect of outsiders, then speak. Or as you're winning the respect of outsiders, speak because they will remember us by what they see 
And so in 2018, will you wear the logo well? And here's the point, right? Your logo might only be small. Can you recognise that? Put the domino. It's only small. I could put it right down to just above the visual threshold and you'll still recognise it, won't you? It could be magnificent and big up on Empire State Building or something on the side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Do you recognise that logo? I turned it upside down. You still recognise it. I blurred it and pixelated it. Do you still recognise it? You do. And so I kind of think, wow, um, we're not perfect Christians, <laughs> are we? But as long as the logo, whether it's a bit pixelated, blurry, on its side, upside down at times, as long as the logo is clear enough, distinct enough for them to see Christ within you, and as long as they can see Christ within you growing, your life growing, and that's on you, that is on you. Don't wait for the Holy Spirit lightning bolt. You'll be waiting until your last dying breath. If you're waiting in a sense of, oh, God's got to move within me before I do something, you know, you're dead wrong. You've been given life. You've been given arms and legs. You've been given a heart that beats. You've been given everything you need for godliness is what we're told in 1 Peter. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. So our love must be sincere. Our second thing, as I finish here, is share your life. This really came home to me as I was walking, and it comes from this passage in 1 Thessalonians again, where Paul says, now, now remember in the context is how did this little church just keep growing when it should have just died out? Here's one of the keys here. Paul says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Now, that, this isn't just some super spiro kind of talk here. If you read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, you will see that Paul actually was a tent maker, so he worked side by side with them. He shared that, that means he shared his food with them. He shared his life with them. Now, we can't share our lives with everyone in this church because you're not the Holy Spirit. But what you could do, and here are some things that we could do. Oh, let me finish. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we'd all to share with you only the gospel, but our lives as well because you've become so dear to us. So if love is to be sincere, share your life. You like that picture? It's not mine, but it's pretty sweet. So just imagine if love was growing more and more, right? Showing its sincerity in 2018. So some things that you might do, some things I'm going to do. Find a friend. Maybe find two friends, a non-churchy and a churchy friend. Maybe you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to share my life with you. I'm going to invite you over for meals. I'm going to invite you for coffee. Just one or two, just one or two in 2018. And you're not doing it because you want to one day speak the gospel to them. You're doing it because you've been called to love. Full stop. That's one of our earlier New Year's sermons. I don't know if you recognise it. You are called to love. You're called to serve. Just pick one or two and just do that well. Just love them. Share your lives with them. And when they want a reason for the hope that's in you, then you speak. Or if the Holy Spirit calls you to speak from day one, I'm doing this because I feel like God has spoken to me to do it, then tell them that. Just be led by the Holy Spirit. There's no templates here. Imagine that. Imagine um, when the text messages come out and the prayers that you're going to share your life. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a minute or two to stop what I'm doing. And specifically pray right then before I forget. And perhaps I'll go to the toilet if I'm at work. It will cost me something. I'm going to have to share some minutes, not work time. Um, you know, maybe you put a reminder in your phone or something like that to keep praying day by day. But we'll share our lives. 
Maybe this, um, this week, sorry, this year, you're just going to come to church every Sunday. You know, before we heard people sharing their lives. Wow, that's what we want more of. Share your life, share what God's share, um, sharing with you. And here's the final, more and more. Um, again, it's another song by Cloverton. And it's called More, which I just heard um, yesterday. And I thought, oh, that'll be a good fit. And it's basically in the perspective of God. He says, I love you more than life. I love you more than death. I love you more than consequences. Which I love that. I love you more than life. I love you more than death. I love you more than consequences. How do we know that? We know that because in the Bible we're told God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still dysfunctional, rejecting, neglecting, disregarding him, he gave us more grace. And like I said before, more and more grace is going out into the world. You know, more and more grace is going to come into your life this year. It's been promised for whatever obstacles, whatever circumstances, more and more. And what I want to pray, and I'm going to pray this now as we finish up, I'm going to pray that we wear his logo well. It's the logo of the cross. It's the logo of the open tomb. It's the logo of life and light. Love that picture up there with the sun beaming brightly. So this year in 2018, let's share our lives. Let's wear the logo well.